I was sat there just before the service, just reading that thing on the screen. It just said, he is risen. Do you realise what that means? No more sorrow, no more pain, no more death, all the things that scare us most. You know, we can't get excited. Honestly. Hey, bro. God, there is life out there. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, as we come to you this evening, Lord, it's a humbling experience for us. Lord, that Easter is the high spot in the Christian calendar. Death was defeated. The Lord Jesus Christ raised from the dead. He did testify, Lord, to the fact that he had been given this authority by you, that no man took his life from him, but he laid it down freely. He had the power to lay it down and the power to take it up. Oh, Father, what a saviour. We bless you for that. Father, we just uh, know because of that that sin and death is defeated. Father, and although we know it in our heads, And we experience it in part in our lives, Lord, that full impact rarely hits us. Lord, that we will be in your presence forever, that we can gaze upon you, that we can worship you, that your dwelling will be with us. Lord, no longer confined to the walls of a a building, but you live in us by our hearts, by faith. What a blessing that is. Father, you confirmed this by your own hands splitting the temple veil from top to bottom, making the way in for man to come into your presence through the blood of our precious Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, hallelujah, what a Saviour. Father, we sometimes don't realise the awful power that was released on that day. Father, the sun stood still. Darkness covered the land. Father, rocks were split. Tombs were opened. Some of the saints were raised. Oh, Father, just some of the small things which we marvel at that happened that day. Father, we just stand in awe of you Lord now we can be clean washed clean by the blood of the Saviour Lord because he rose from the dead our faith is not in vain Lord Jesus Christ has given us the victory Hallelujah Father although our Lord Jesus Christ is himself God and so full of power even at a busy time like that he has time for the individual Father we think of Mary standing outside the tomb bewildered and yet Lord you had time for that word of comfort for her for Peter who had failed so dismally in denying you words of comfort and reinstatement for him 
even Thomas, Lord, you were prepared to speak to him who wouldn't believe unless he saw. Oh, Father, there is no one who have slipped so far that you cannot reach out to them and touch them. Lord, you come to anyone who seeks you. We praise you for that, even today, if we will but open our hearts to you and genuinely seek you. You delight to come and restore and heal. Bless you. So, Father, as we come and open our hearts to you this evening, let's give ourselves afresh to you. Lord, forgive us when we hold back. You've never held back from us. Your commitment to us is total. Lord, we just uh, uh, need to learn afresh how to worship and adore totally, Lord. 100%. Lord, adoration is something which is alien to us in many ways. We're always looking for the catch. We're always looking for the small print. But Father, there is none in your gospel. Whosoever will may come. So, Lord, we want to come and again and throw ourselves upon you. Give you the rightful place in our lives at the head. Help us, Lord, to go as the Great Commission tells us, to go and make you known. You have given us that victory in Jesus. The sting of death has been drawn. Father, help us to go and live in the light of that. Open our ears to hear your word. Open our eyes to see you at work and the opportunity you give us. And above all, Lord, take all the glory to yourself. You alone are worthy. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, great three in one. Our God. Amen. Thanks, Val. Thanks, Ken, for reading and praying. Well, if you're a Christian here this evening, no doubt there'll be moments in life when you stop and reflect and look back on God's goodness to you. Maybe things that have happened in life, events and people that have contributed to leading you to faith in Jesus. As I reflect back on my life, there's probably one event that was maybe more significant than any other which God used, I think, to bring me to a full saving faith in Christ and what he's done. It was the Christmas of 1991. I remember being um, woken to the sound of my mum and dad crying on the landing outside my room. And it was one of those surreal moments when I sort of knew what had happened before I'd actually been informed. Uh, Our gran was stopping with us over Christmas. She was pretty frail. And it was about five minutes later when my mum and dad gathered themselves and actually came in to to break the news to me that my gran had died during the night. I remember going next door to the spare room, which was next to mine, and and seeing the reality um, for myself. And I went to bed that night, and it was Christmas Eve night, 13-year-old boy. And it's a night when most young boys of that age look forward with excitement and anticipation to what comes next. It's all about what's coming next, isn't it, Christmas Eve? 
But I remember going to bed that night and I was curled up under my duvet with a little torch. And for the first time, I was scared. I was confused. Because you see, even as a 30-year-old Maybe don't think that a a lot goes through the head of a 13-year-old lad. But enough went through my head that day to join up the dots and think, what will be for me? Just as I look down on my... And so one day someone will look down on me. What, What does that mean? What does it mean for life? What does it mean for eternity? Where's my grand? Where am I going to go? Is there life beyond the grave? Is this it? Is there something else? If there is something else, what's it like? And if there is something else, how can I get there? And I had this jumble full of questions and everything, confusion, fear almost running through my mind. And I think from that moment on, I probably wouldn't have said this if you'd asked me, but... I think my life was something of a subconscious quest from that moment onwards to find the answer to life and what lies beyond the grave. The big question of what next. And you see, the question of what next, it's a a question that we all ask in life all the time. What's coming next? What next after my GCSEs? What next after my A-levels? What next after my apprenticeship or university? What next after I'm married? What, What will happen? What about next after children? What next when I'm retired? We're always asking the question, what next? But you see, I think often we actually stop short of asking the most important what next question of all. What next after life? Not just life beyond school or or life beyond children or life beyond work. What about life beyond life? I wonder how frequently we stop to ask that question. You see, I think the world at large, the world broadly out there, very rarely stops to ask the question, what about life beyond life? Maybe just in those moments when they're pushed there by the circumstances of life like I was. But rarely do they stop to really ponder the question for long enough. But I think the same goes for us as Christians. I wonder how frequently we stop to ponder that question, what about life beyond life wonder when the last time was you maybe heard the subject of heaven and the richness and the glory of the world to come preached I wonder when the last time was in your own personal quiet times you reflected on the truths of scripture long enough to ponder and let your heart smile at the reality of the world to come you see this evening well I think we don't reflect on it enough And I think this evening, I want to readdress that in some small way as we step back to ponder the wonder and the glory of the world to come. And we're going to start our exploration in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 to 5. We're going to be there for much this night, but just a little advance warning, we are going to be jumping around because I want different parts of the Bible to speak into this great subject of heaven as we build this this bigger, richer, more brilliant, beautiful picture of what the world to come will be like. And there's five hallmarks of heaven that we're going to think about this evening. And here's the first one. Heaven above everything else is God-centered. Have a look at Revelation 21 verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people 
and God himself will be with them and be their God. Heaven above all other things is the dwelling place of God. It is a place where God is. It is a place where God is most supremely present. You see, before we come to ask all the questions of what, what will my resurrection body look like in the world to come? Can I run into a wall and feel no pain? Will it be okay? What sort of memories will I take with me from this life to the next? All these questions where, to some extent, we can let our minds run wild, but they are secondary to the most important thing about heaven, that heaven is a place where God has manifested himself, made himself known most supremely in all his goodness and all his glory. Have a look at Revelation 21, verse 23, a little bit later on in the same chapter. The city does not need the sun or moon to shine, for the glory of God gives its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The new city, the new creation, it needs no sun, it needs no moon, because the glory of God will shine without ceasing. You see, even in this world, we we taste God's goodness, don't we? We taste God's goodness in this life. But in the world to come, we will see the panorama of God's goodness and enjoy being in that place for all eternity. This is what Jonathan Edwards, the great theologian of the 18th century, said about heaven as he tried to sum up what we so find hard to sum up on many occasions. The essence of heaven is the vision of God and the eternal increase of joy in him. Heaven might well be summed up in the declaration, they will see his face, taken from Revelation 22, verse 4. They will see his face. Heaven is a place when we will come face to face with the living and the loving God. What a moment that will be. Can you imagine it? As you sat there now and all the routines, the normality of life come to an end. The day when you will be face to face with the King of Kings. Can you picture that moment? Because in that moment, everything changes. You will be changed. I will be changed in the twinkling of an eye because we shall see him as he is. That little truth of beholding is becoming, it stands for this life and for eternity. The more we behold God now, the more we stop to reflect and ponder the wonder of God that we see in the face of Christ, the more we behold him now, the more we will become like him. But on that final day, when we stand face to face with our Saviour, when we see him unveiled in all his glory, majesty and splendour, we will become like him in all of his moral perfections, because beholding is becoming, and heaven above all other things is a place where God is, where he manifests himself most supremely. It's the most fundamental thing about heaven. It is God But here's our second hallmark. Heaven isn't only God-centered, it is joy-filled. You see, when you begin to understand what God is like, when we begin to come to terms with the character of God, as we see in the Bible, it makes sense, doesn't it? If heaven is God-centered, then inevitably it's joy-filled. It's what David says, is it not, in Psalm 16, verse 11, you may known to me the path of life. 
You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Where's joy found? Joy is found in the very presence of God. Place where we will lap up the eternal pleasures of Him for all eternity. You see, and unlike this life, when joys come and go to an extent, the joys of this life are, are finely woven with the troubles and the hardships in the world to come. There is no ceasing of that joy. And in fact, there's not even a steady state of joy. There is an ongoing increase of the joy that will be experienced when we come face to face with our living Saviour. I want to read to you just a short extract from this book called One Thing. And the author tries to to capture what the joy will be like when we come into the dwelling place of God himself. So just absorb these words for a moment. The happiness of heaven is not like the steady, placid state of a mountain lake where barely a ripple disturbs the tranquility of its water. Heaven is more akin to the surging, swelling waves of the Mississippi at flood stage. With each passing day, there is an increase in the level of water. And as the rain of revelation and insight and discovery continues to fall throughout the endless ages of eternity, so the water level of love and joy and happiness rises higher and higher, never to abate or to any degree diminish. It is a place where the joys will never cease. Just cast your mind back to that greatest moment of joy maybe you've ever experienced in life. Just take yourself back there. Have you got it? Have you captured it? Take away what you were doing. Forget what you were doing for a minute, but hold on to that moment of sheer exhilaration and joy. Take that moment... Multiply it by a million, 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 million and let it last for eternity and we're coming a little bit closer, just a little bit closer to understanding the joy that will be on that day because heaven is a God-centered place and we have a God of abundant joy who has unlimited treasures of joy and delight at his disposal and he's going to lavish us with that joy at the end of time. Heaven is God-centered. Heaven is joy-filled. And thirdly, heaven is a place where relationships are restored. I went to a, um, a funeral at the crematorium with Neil a couple of weeks back who was leading uh, the service there. And as Neil was talking to some of the family after the service, I took a little wander around um, the gardens and just looked at some of the headstones and the plaques and I think one of the things that struck me was the, was the language like this, gone but not forgotten, fondly departed. Language of, of leaving, of, of parting. You see, one of the, the most painful things about death is that it separates. You see, death takes away and it divides the good things that God has put in place. Yet the truth of the resurrection is that Jesus is capable of undoing all that death has done. If death is the great divider, then the Lord Jesus is the great reconciler. Heaven will be one glorious reunion for all those who have trusted in Christ. It's something that the Apostle Paul alludes to, look in chapter 2 of his first letter to the Thessalonians. 
For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you, he says to the Thessalonians, indeed you are our glory and joy. You know, when you step over the threshold of heaven, your greatest joy will be to see Jesus face to face and you will drop the knee and you will be forever thankful for all that he has done for you. But it is a very real and precious thing on that day to be reunited to fellow believers, all those that would trust in Christ. You see, when we talk about a reunion, I don't know what comes into your head, but I've got pretty tame reunions in my mind. People you haven't seen for 10, 15 years, and it's a pretty dull affair because no one's got anything in common, and you just sort of ride out the night and go home. But the reunion that is talked about here, a great coming together of all God's people, of all the redeemed, to be in his presence, to gather around the throne, yeah? People from every tribe and nation and language and tongue gathering around the throne, united together for all eternity, never to be parted again. It is a great coming together and it is a quite wonderful truth that flows from the fact that Jesus is risen and death has been conquered. And you see that truth, I hope, is wonderfully comforting and encouraging to us. But I think it's also challenging because it rings true, of course, for all our fellow believers, those that know and trust the Lord. We will see each other in glory. We will know each other in glory. But of course, it is a challenge, isn't it? Because at this point in time, that's not a reality for some. Some will not be a part of that great reunion. And hence, the gospel is everything. The truth of the death and resurrection of Christ and it is our wonderful work and privilege to make that gospel known that more people will be a part of that reunion on that final day heaven is God centred heaven is joy filled heaven is a place where relationships are restored and heaven is a place that is pain free Revelation 21 verse 4 may be a familiar verse but never lose the value of what has been spoken of here. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. You see, we've heard of who will be there, most significantly God, but also all the redeemed. But John goes on to talk about who won't be there or what won't be there. Do you see what won't be there? No more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. I mean, Ken said it before his prayers, didn't he? It's all the rubbish stuff in life, right? It's all the stuff that hurts, but it's all gone. Can you imagine what that world will be like? Try and taste the beauty of that world without these things. A world where there's no more need for doctors or, or undertakers or, or, or lawyers or policemen. Not that they won't be there, but they won't be practicing, right? 
There's no more sickness to attend to. Doctors will be out of work. There is no more death for undertakers to sign off. There is no more brokenness that lawyers need to reconcile in court. There is no crime. There is just beautifully restored relationship where people live in God's world as he made them to live and as he's redeemed them to live. Is that not a world we all want, yeah? As you sit there, I hope it makes you smile. It is a world we all want, and it is a world that can be ours. It is ours through Christ, and it can be ours through Christ if you haven't trusted him yet. You see, the the wonder of the resurrection is it doesn't just open up this world and this life, it secures it. Because the death of Jesus was sufficient to deal with sin, and the resurrection has smashed death to pieces. Heaven is a place where there will be no more pain. And lastly, heaven is a place that will be physically renewed. Revelation 21 verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. There will be a passing away of this old order that we are so familiar with now. As the prophet Isaiah describes it, it's like the rolling up of a scroll and the unfurling into place of a new created order. See that little phrase there, a new heaven and a new earth? It's a reference to the all of creation. Just as we've been looking at in the evenings, Genesis 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, everything. He created the entire cosmos. And there comes a day when God will renew and remake the entire cosmos. And that includes our own bodies that we'll be raised with on that final day. It's a subject that the Apostle Paul looks at in... 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're just going to have a glance at it now, but look at what he says. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? And he goes on to say, so it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown, this body that I'm in now, is perishable. But it will be raised imperishable. This body that I'm in now will be sown in dishonor but it will be raised in glory. It will be sown in weakness and it will be raised in power. God will fit us for the newly created physical world. You see, we're not just going to hang around wafting around as spirits on clouds with angels playing harps. We're talking about a new creation, physical, tangible and real. And God will fit us with bodies that will last for eternity to explore and enjoy the new and glorious world that he has made. It's a pretty weak view of heaven, I admit, this evening, because no one will ever do justice to the world to come. But hopefully it's a flavour that helps us grasp the importance of the resurrection. Heaven is God-centred, it is joy-filled. It's a place where relationships are restored, it is pain-free, and it is a physically renewed cosmos. I guess in conclusion, it's worth saying that the impact of the resurrection is massive, isn't it? It's the Easter week as we look back and we wonder at the death of the Lord 
Jesus and all that that means. But as we marvel at the resurrection and the world that we've just begun to taste, I guess, this evening, it's a world that there is no access to apart from faith in Jesus. See, Jesus stands before this world, doesn't he, and says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No one comes to the Father, no one comes to this place, to my dwelling, to my abode, apart from me. Which is why Easter is everything. Because at this time of year, and in fact throughout the year, we don't just rejoice in Jesus as our fully sufficient Saviour, we rejoice in Jesus and his resurrection power. You see the empty tomb that we spoke about this morning, it is the boldest declaration to this world that death has not won. Jesus has conquered the grave. It's not death full stop, it's death, comma, there is life beyond the grave. And all those that would trust Jesus and follow him now will follow him through, di- through death to life. What a saviour, Ken said, didn't he? What a saviour we have and what a glorious risen king we have. Let me finish with some words from John Piper that are on the screen. And you, it's up to you to take away the truth and the reality of the world to come and push it into your life and and let let it affect all that you do. But this is what John Piper says. I believe with all my heart that in order to be useful in this world, we must fall in love with another world. In order to transform this world for the glory of Christ, we must be saturated with the glory and the wisdom of another world. In order to be the light of this world, we must put our torch in the flame of heaven. Some Christians have been challenged that they're too heavenly focused. There's no such thing. Because the more we meditate on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, the more useful we will become to Christ and his gospel and his glory in this world now. Why don't I give you a few minutes maybe with that little quote on the screen just to reflect and think about how the reality of the resurrection and the world to come, how does that affect you as you're sat here this evening? And then we're going to sing again to celebrate the resurrection together. Just take a couple of moments first.